0: Welcome, everybody, to the Food Safety University podcast. I'm your host, David Zarling, and today, in episode number 45, we're going to discuss those little questions that always creep into new plant managers' minds, and they all have one thing in common. They start with the phrase, what if? Stay tuned. We're going to debunk some of these and and, uh, make them a little less scary. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. Um, today, we're going to be talking about one of my very favorite topics, uh, the what-if question, also known as catastrophic thinking. Um, if, if you know me or have worked with me, uh, you know that I lead with a hazard analysis slash uh, risk analysis mindset, right? I'm, I think about things a few steps ahead and what could go wrong, what could go sideways. And it's very valuable as a plant manager, right? That's what we are paid to do is to analyze risk and uh, use corrective actions and preventative actions to drive productivity and prevent downtime, you know, and, uh, but when, when that crosses over into your personal life, <laughs> that doesn't always work super well, right? Uh, it can be uh, it can be kind of a, a nerve wracking way to live if that's your day in and day out, but inevitably it happens if you, if you don't manage that part of your your brain and when when that type of thinking which in the workplace is called risk analysis and hazard analysis where we're always thinking about possible outcomes in your personal life that's called catastrophic thinking and it's and it's it's um, you know sometimes a semi-obsessive way or, or uh, delivery of thinking about the worst-case scenario what if there's a fire in the plant or or what if, what if when I, you know, go join my new uh, flag football team, the team doesn't like me? You know, it's like, what, like, what if, what if I, what if I make this new recipe for my family and it totally fails and it sucks? Um, that's catastrophic thinking. And it's easy to fall prey to that when you're new at any job. You know, I can remember my very first job as a line cook and I was like, what if I just don't get it and I'm actually a terrible cook and I'm too slow and I, and, and, and what if, what if, what if, um, and the higher the stakes, the louder the voice or the, or the more plentiful, the, the what if questions, you know, and, um, I've been having some discussions about this about about the anxiety of being a new manager in a new facility. I've been having some discussions about this with some uh with some plant managers of various experience levels. And I asked this group of of folks separately, uh what what are like your top it was your top 8 what if questions that you currently think about or did think about when you were new like whatever. And I, I there was four that were common. And I was feeling very familiar with all of these questions when I thought about, uh, you know, my thought process and what it was like to to join some some, uh, new organizations and be stepping into a a challenging role. And I thought that I would share those and my thoughts on those and reflect on these what if questions uh, so that, you know. If you're listening to this and you're in this position, you can know you're not alone and other people experience this stuff just like you do and uh, it gets better. You know, it really does. And if you're a person that's getting into management and you're thinking about all of the things to be afraid of before you apply for your first position or whatever, just know other people have experienced this and it's going to pass. And uh, yeah, we're just going to shed some light on this Couple of these questions, and and uh, if you have any feedback or any questions that that really terrify you about management, shoot them my way. You know, we can do an FAQ once in a while, and you can shoot me questions, and I'll answer them on the pa- the podcast and let you know when I answer them, and, and that could be really fun. So, um, so before we dive in, what makes these questions so like scary or dysregulating? And and ultimately, it's it's because the que- the worst case scenarios that we come up with attack like. Something in our hierarchy of needs, you know, whether it's like being accepted by the the your people or uh, You know being like like having insecure being insecure, you know Not having income by way of losing your job or not being respected What whatever, whatever it may be It's it's just you know, it's it's like an irrational fear um, <clears throat> That's that's meant to that's meant to make us perform at a higher level um, but Generally, that anxiety is also super counterproductive because it affects, you know, your confidence and decision-making and your productivity because you lose focus and, and, uh, things of that nature. So what I recommend is a couple of things that we, uh, have talked about in the past. The first, you know, it's really about establish you know, beating these questions is really about establishing your management philosophy and your style and your problem sol- solving method. Right. And these are things that Dr. P has talked about, uh, as far as, problem solving methods you know dr. P talks about the strive model the water the light models uh, the proofing box all all different ways to suss out the information that you need to make an informed decision about something even when it's super stressful or, or difficult you know I have my own problem solving process which we'll talk about in a future episode mine starts much like the strive model with safety like, Okay, is this thing that I'm worried about? Is there is there anything here that's an emergency, first of all? Because sometimes when you just acknowledge that something's not an emergency, um, it can feel like some pressure is relieved because, it, you know, you don't have to solve it right away. You have time. You have space, right? So figuring out your problem-solving style, and if, you, if you'd like to learn more about how to develop that, uh, Dr. P's got a podcast about the different models um, <clears throat> and... You know, we'll talk about how uh, to develop your own in a future episode. Um, but then there's the philosophy statement. We've talked about this too. And, and uh, I kind of pulled my philosophy statement uh, method from an author, Dr. Michael Gervais, who, um, you know, has studied high performing or high achieving Folks, you know, whether it's athletes or or people who are achieving in their field and talk to them about their um, Their their habits and one of the things that he recommends is developing a, a personal philosophy statement And so the way that he does that that's what I use and uh, I'll briefly describe it or or the version of, of it that that I use so We want to develop a, a philosophy statement because it's kind of like what you lean on, right? It's like your backbone, Um, when you're a manager, you got to decide what kind of manager you're going to be. And you have to hold yourself accountable to that because, you know, there's something we'll talk about in a moment, but, but, uh, about communication that I want to bring up, but it's really like, it's how you can, it's how you show up for your team. Who are you going to be? And I think about early on in my career, I just like picked something, some, some shit. I was like firm, but fair, like what? What does that even mean, firm but fair? That doesn't it's, firm but fair sounds like a, a, a an assistant high school principal in the late 1980s. Like and that guy sucked. You know, that doesn't mean anything. That sounds bland. And and that's not how you show up to a relationship with anybody. Not even like your dog, right? So, you got to figure out who you are and I think that the best way is not to create some sort of uh, amorphous image in your mind, but to but to consider those who have inspired you and supported you and been great managers to you, right? So again, adapted from Dr. Michael Gervais' method, for finding a philosophy statement, uh, you start with pick your top five managers you've ever had or people that you look up to that maybe weren't managers but were like, I guess, you know, elders of some kind or or whatever, just people you respect. But it really works if there's if it's in like some sort of, organizational structure, you know, someone that was above you, um, in that sense and pick between one and three words. I like one or two words per person, uh, that describe, you know, you, these are the characteristics that you really loved about them or liked about them or jived with or worked well with whatever. Okay. So write between one and three for each one. And if you feel like if you feel like you want to list more than five people, go for it. That's a minimum. But if you want to list eight or ten, go ahead. When you're done with that, you go through and let's let's say you've got uh, a minimum of of ten adjectives to pick from or characteristics. Pick five of those. Your five favorite, and then use those words to fit into a statement. Could be a, a short paragraph. Could be one just you know poorly, uh, punctuated run-on sentences, like whatever, but get into a statement that describes how you want to show up for your people, for your teams. That's incredibly important to establish that because when the hard stuff hits the fan, you, you already know who you're going to be. You're not, you're not going to let your stress or your anger, or your impatience take the best, take the reins. Um, you know who you're going to be already. And that really helps you make decisions. Okay. So I highly recommend going through that exercise and coming up with your philosophy statement because it's an instant weapon against what if questions. What if everyone hates me? Well, how can, how can you hate somebody with this philosophy statement? Or even if they do, if I show up every day as this person that I've defined, it's going to take some time, but eventually we will form a trusting relationship. Okay. Okay. So anyways, that leads me into our first of four questions. Again, these are the top four questions uh, that a lot of people had in common on their list of what if questions that haunted them as new plant managers. Um, yeah, the first one, the most common one, what if the crew hates me? What if they just think I'm gross and uh, they think I'm a real Michael Scott? What if that happens, right? Okay, it's going to happen. That is going to happen. You could do this job multiple times, one time doesn't, you know, this is going to happen at some point. And, and especially in the meat industry, you got to prove yourself. And I hate that it's like that. And I don't think it's always going to be that way, but that's, that's how it's been. That's what I've seen. I, th- I do see the tide changing a little bit, but I think that it is really hard to uh, build trust on very tight knit groups in production facilities. Um, we're not here to make friends. Okay. I just want to be super clear about that as a manager. You're not there to make friends. You're there to remove the speed bumps so that specialists can do their best and safest work. You're there to create a culture of equitability, accountability, and safety. You're here to drive a process of continuous improvement. And you're here to, you know, um, implement the fundamentals of lean in order to create, uh, profitable business right that's what you're here to do and how we communicate is really our best way of building trusting relationships with our crew um but you got to be really judicious about it right and kim scott has a book called radical candor where she talks about um her experience in silicon valley and some various startup or tech companies and uh just noticing the minutiae of relationships between people and how they communicate with one another and she was able to, to Divide human communication in the workplace into four quadrants. Okay, the first one is called and, and, and so so there's only one of these four that is effective Equitable respectful communication that builds trust between people and builds relationships. Okay, there's only one of these four options that that, that has that result so the first the first type of communication that does not have that result is called Obnoxious aggression this is the boss that you know runs people under the ground or guilts them or yells at them Or has a temper or people are just like generally afraid of them Um, We everybody's had those, you know, really fiery chefs cranky old farmers uh, Mean old butchers, you know, we've all been there. We've all had these bosses and obnoxious aggression is that's that's the first of the four That's a big that's a hell. No the second of the four that does not—it's communication styles. Uh, this one does not result in relationship building. It's called ruinous empathy. Ruinous empathy is—is is when you're like, um, you know, empathizing with people to the degree of not holding them accountable, not holding, and and you by by not holding people accountable, you hold them back. You know, um, you know giving what could be seen as like nepotism or preferential treatment or, you know, bending the rules for people because you feel bad, that's ruinous empathy and it destroys your culture of accountability. You know, we can be compassionate and we can go through the proper channels to make exceptions for people, but, but just bending the rules for folks doesn't work. And a lot of people do that to, to, to be cool, to be the cool guy, right in the plant and uh, to gain friends. And that's a horrible way to do it. Trust me, It, it doesn't work. And eventually uh, that will blow up in your face. I promise you this. The third type of communication that does not result in building relationships is insincere manipulation. And that's kind of like, oh, gosh, um, you're so great. You know, it's like, it's, it's just, I got these things above me and I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. But between you and me, it's like totally cool. Don't worry. You know, it's like insincere manipulation is where you tell people what they want to hear. You people, please. So that you can not have to face the music or feel uncomfortable. Okay? That does not... People sniff that out. Even if they are are like the beneficiary of that once or twice, they sniff it out. And uh, it, it smells a lot like weakness. Right? The fourth style of communication, which does actually result in building relationships, is radical candor. Okay? This is where we can respectfully and... Uh, Direct but directly define our boundaries and state our needs while also actively listening and making space for the other person that you're having a conversation with. That's radical candor. You know, um when you are direct, but you know, not sterile, you're a person, but you're direct, you state your boundaries, you state your needs, and you hold every you know, you hold yourself and everyone else accountable to being consistent and doing the same thing the same way every time. Eventually that consistency will feel, uh, it'll feel like being steady. It'll feel like support and, and relationships and trust. Again, you're not there to make friends, but you're there to do a good job and you're there to make other people's jobs better. They don't have to like you as a person for that, but, but hopefully your work will speak volumes. So what if the crew hates me? Everybody thinks it, but if you show up with that philosophy statement and and you know what type of communicator you're going to be and you set boundaries and you set expectations and needs and hold everyone accountable in the same way. So there's no surprises and there's no favoritism that will build at least trusts built on, uh, on, on, on trust. Re- I'm sorry. Relationships built on trust. Um, the second of the four questions. What if I'm not a subject matter expert on everything that we do, Uh you're not gonna be. That's not a thing. You can't be a subject I mean, trust me, I've tried. I've tried to be an expert at everything, and I'm not an expert at anything. But I know a lot about a lot of things uh when it comes to these subjects. But but that's not your job. Your job is not to be the best trainer or the or the best butcher or the best, you know, uh broadforker. Your your job is again to remove the speed bumps so that the specialists can do their work. And if you If you need to train or be good or work on the floor, you can do a great job. But it's okay to say that you don't know the answer to something, but you know where to get it, or you know what question to ask, or you know who to ask. That's the example that we want to set as a manager. You're never going to know everything, and you don't want to pretend like you do. Just be honest and be transparent. It's obviously, you know, that that fear is associated with not wanting to be humiliated. Um, But you don't have to be the best. You sure as heck do have to know where to find the answers, though. And that's what being a great manager is about, getting the answers, even when you don't already know them. And that's easy. Think about your support network, your organizational chart, uh, you know, do you have a line to the finance team do you have a line of the owners can you talk to everyone that you need to talk to do you have a consulting budget for the year if you need who are your industry partners can you bring people out that you know for a tour of the plant and and maybe you know uh, uh, an on-site visit there's so many ways that you can go about finding the answers to questions and you can find them here's the third question a uh, big what if that plant managers uh, experience when they're new. Programs are great and all, but what if everyone hasn't actually been trained? Okay, so this is kind of like the last question. Uh, you know, th- but it's not about you being a subject matter expert. What if you come in, and you've got all these great programs, and you go through the management audit, and 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 you do all the paperwork and you get everything in place and you realize that no one in your facility actually knows how to run or work in a facility yes that's a big what if you know but that's that is part of the training audit right if you if you lean on so i hear the fear here right i hear that the fear is like it kind of goes back to the last one i'm not a subject matter expert i can't train everyone all at the same time but what if no one's trained what am i going to do You're never going to get caught in that position because when you come on in your first two weeks or your first 30 days, whatever it takes, you're going to do that gap audit on the management program, the operations uh, program and the culture program. And you're going to know what the training program looks like. And you're going to know right off the bat if you're up a creek. And if that's the case, you're going to bring that to ownership's attention in the first 30 days and let them know where the the knowledge gaps are and who you need to help train it and if and if that is a no if you get a red light there then uh my recommendation that i'd probably pack my bags right back into the moving van i came out in and i'd mosey on okay And then the last question, this is, this is one that's always kind of scary when you come to a new plant. What if the financials get worse? What if, what if, you know, what if you come into a plant that needs to be turned around and, and, and it gets worse? Well, that's always possible, right? Things generally get worse before they get better because you know, when, when there's, when there's a shakeup in the plant, people, people are just aren't as comfortable and, and, and things don't go quite as smoothly. That's, that's a thing. Um, but if you're worried about not having financial acumen, then, then what I recommend to you is listen to the, pot, listen to the episode, The Financial Gap Audit, where, that I did with Dane Creighton, where he discusses uh, plant finance and, and the things that you ought to know and you ought to think about. Uh, but here's a little checklist of things I think about. First of all, do I have access to my monthly budget? If I do, I'm going to audit that, all the line items, just to see where we've been spending money and where we have some opportunities. I'm also going to make sure that the budget is set up as a cost center so that, uh, and and in addition to that, I'm going to know what cost ownership requires me to keep the plant operating at per unit, whether that's pound, pallet, case, labor hour, whatever it is. But you got to have KPIs that are developed with the ownership so that you know your container uh, to work within and if you're doing a good job. Due time studies. Figure out if you're actually making money on the work that you're doing. Do true time studies, slash labor studies, yield tests, the whole nine yards. Figure out what you're going to measure, and 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 whether or not uh, it's penciling out. Because if your labor is low in your in your fees for service or in your product pricing, it needs to be changed. That's low hanging fruit, right? Um, and then again. Make sure you know how you're being measured, develop, co-develop the KPIs. If there's KPIs that are there already, don't just take them for granted. Learn about them, uh, learn how you're being measured, and then potentially improve those KPIs because a lot of times the, what you're measuring doesn't mean jack. So make sure that it makes sense to you and your management style. And, and uh, if you start with that checklist and you're focusing on those items from a financial standpoint, You will at least know what's happening and you can explain any variances, uh, off budget for the first quarter or two, you know, until you really feel like you're comfortable there. So, uh, yeah, the financials can't get worse, but there's a way to get around that. And if you'd like to know more about, um, what to do when you just get into a new position, whether it's financials or cultural or whatever it is, um, Drop me an email, David at Deergo Food Safety. uh, Michelle and I are going to be launching the new plant manager course soon. And uh, we love talking to people about this. So if you'd like to learn more, hit us up. Again, David at Deergo Food Safety or Michelle at Deergo Food Safety. And uh, let's talk talk plant management. All right, until next time. Thanks for listening. Before you go, click the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com where we have free food safety guides waiting for you. Until next time, keep up the great work.